Minnesota, not northern Minnesota, north of Minneapolis. And then today, I get to come here and preach at my son-in-law's church. Not too many people get to do that, but I do. And uh, that, that uh, thrills us down to our toes, as you might think. And uh, we're grateful for that. We, we love uh, uh, Sean and Becky's heart for the church, for the gospel, for Christ. And it just delights us to be able to be here today and to share with you. And uh, we're, we just feel very, very blessed this morning to uh, have that privilege and that opportunity to do so. So we're feeling pretty good today uh, in that way. By the way, I think the farmers are too now. We got past that April stuff. And we've got some May sunshine going, and that's, a, that's, that's great too, and I think they're going to get their corn in by the 10th of May, so they should be good to go. At least I used to, I think I was told that 10th of May was kind of a critical, got to get it in by then day anyway, back where I grew up, that was kind of important. And so we're glad they're, they're going to get that done and put a smile on their face and get the season off and going. I'd like you to turn your Bibles to Psalm 27. <clears throat> uh, Dwayne, I'm going to preach from Psalm. I understand you're teaching Psalm, so I hope we agree. If, if we don't, probably you should defer to Dwayne, okay? Uh, just uh, if, if uh, that's the case. But uh, I'd like to just uh, read this Psalm for you, and then uh, we're going to talk about it. Just share with you a little bit about what this Psalm says to us. <clears throat> it's a Psalm of David. And uh, by the way, I'm reading out of uh, NIV 1984. I've preached out of all these years. I'm going to quit now. <clears throat> you know, no upgrade for me. I'm staying right here. It's what I know. Uh, so uh, if, if it doesn't quite match up with your translation, I would apologize, but be that as it may, that's where we're at. Okay. Uh, NIV 1984, Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? When evil men advance against me to devour my flesh, when my enemy, uh, enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, though an army besiege me, his heart, uh, my heart will not fear. Though they break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask of the Lord, and this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord, all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For on the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle, and he will set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his tabernacle, I will sacrifice shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says to you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You've been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, O God, my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in, your, in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desires of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, breathing out violence. I am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and take heart. 
and wait for the Lord. Let's pray together. God, I ask that you would just take these words in this psalm today and, and speak to them into our hearts. Help us, Lord, to hear them and to understand them and to appreciate them and to apply them in our own journey as we walk together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> David writes this psalm, and it's highly likely, we can't prove this absolutely, but it's highly likely that he writes this psalm while he's running from Saul. If you know the story of David, you know that there's a period of time when he's been anointed king and Saul's the king and David does all these things that uh, are blessed by God and Saul gets jealous. You know, David's killed his, uh, Saul's killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. Uh, that statement is made and, and just sends Saul into a real tailspin. And he's out to kill David and he's chasing David down like a dog. And he's looking for him everywhere. And uh, David writes this psalm in that context of uh, the being chased around in that way. And what we have in this psalm is the soul's changing moods. If you've walked with God very long, if you've been a Christian very long, you know that, that there are days when, as I've described for you this morning, when you know it's high, it's wonderful, it's exciting, everything is really going well. And then, and then there are it can be even the smallest of things or the smallest of contexts. And we find our hearts and our spirits just subdued and suppressed. And, and we, we do this. This is the Christian journey. It's the Christian life. Um, I'm going to uh, try to do a day or two of ragbri this uh, summer, and you all are familiar with that acrostic and, and the bike ride. And uh, when you look at ragbri information and, and they put it out there about what it is, one of the things that they'll often say in that it, to the people that are coming is, I was not flat. You know, everybody thinks it's flat, but it's not. Now, it's, especially if you're coming out of Sioux City, uh, which I did two years ago, and you're riding out of Sioux City to Storm Lake, that's not flat, I can assure you. There's a lot of hills in that little run uh, right through there. And just like Iowa isn't flat, the spiritual journey that we are on isn't flat either, or just sort of a gentle incline where we just keep getting closer and closer to God and just, just quietly work our way up and, and become more and more spiritual and deeper and deeper in our walk with God. It isn't like that. If you've walked with God very long, you know that to be true. We have those moments when we just take dives and plunge, and, and uh, this psalm is about that. That's what this psalm is about. It's, it's talking about David's changing moods, his ebbs and flows of life. Think of it like a tide uh, out on the ocean where <clears throat> there are times when the tide comes in and the ocean, you know, the beach is full and then there's other times when the water just seems to recede and, and uh, there's nothing there but barren sand. So with that introduction, let's take a look at this. The psalm begins by David expressing his confidence in God and his provision and his protection. Verses 1 through 6, David's high. He's really high spiritually as he's uh, going through this psalm and as he's walking through this. And he's high despite facing some very real challenges. If I'm correct, that Saul is chasing David and, and uh, is pursuing him, then verse 2 takes on uh, special meaning in here. It says, when evil men advance against me to devour my flesh. Uh, he might be thinking here of Saul. I mean, Saul wanted to literally devour his flesh. He'd like to cut David up into pieces. 
You know, I mean, that, that, that's where he is. He's so angry, he's so mad. You know, he I wouldn't just be content to let him die. He would want to just tear him apart. And David knows this. David knows the extent of his anger. So confidence in God is one thing. I mean, I, you can have confidence in God when everything's going well and all's working and it's wonderful. We can have, you know, the farmers can have confidence in uh, 75 degree weather in, on, on May, what is it, 7th or 8th, whatever it is, 7th. But back on April you know, 20th, it's like, <laughs> what's going on here? How's this going to work? What's happening? It's a lot harder to have confidence in God when life isn't going well. But David, in this moment, has confidence in God. It's hard. Life is hard. He doesn't know exactly how this is going to turn out, but he's still confident. Look at, let's look at his confidence. Verse 1, as he goes on here, the Lord is my light he says. David is trusting God to guide him through this dark time. As he walked through the valley of the shadow of death, the darkness of life, David is saying, God is my light. He's going to give me guidance, give me light in the midst of my darkness. Then he goes on to say, God is my salvation. David is trusting God to deliver him from the dangers he's facing. God has promised David that he would one day be king, but right now he's not, you know, like, is this promise going to work or not? It's very much on his mind, but he says, you know, God will come through for me. I believe he will. Uh, there's, a, there's no small danger here. There's no small concern here, but I believe and I trust God will come through for me. And then he goes on to say, the Lord is the stronghold of my life. David is counting on God to protect him from Saul. Remarkably, you know the story of Saul. You understand, you've heard that story. There are twice, there are two occasions in David's story when David has privilege, or the, not privilege, has the opportunity to kill Saul. Twice in the story, Saul is within his grasp. If he took out a knife and plunged it into Saul's heart, his problems would be over just that fast. Twice he had that chance. And both times he turned them down because he was trusting in the Lord to be the stronghold of his life. That's remarkable. That's not easy to be in that place. Sandy and I, one of the verses that, to, that we've walked through life with is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, where it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. David, don't lean on your own understanding. And we in our journey have had times when we couldn't lean on our understanding. It didn't make sense to us. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. That's where David was in these verses. And his confidence runs deep. Look at verse 3. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. Nothing's going to shake me. And again, that's not easy. In the context of real life, it's not easy to say that. But David puts this in print here for us. And David has set his soul and his heart solidly on God, and he says, come what may, I will Trust in God. We should give this man some applause. That's, 
pretty incredible. And then he goes on in verses 4 through 6, and David is confident in God because he is close to God. His confidence in God, verses 1 through 3, is there, and the reason it's there is because David personally is walking very close to God in his journey. Look at uh, verse 4. This, this statement in verse 4 is remarkable to me. One thing I ask of the Lord, and this is what I seek. Now, if you didn't have the rest of the text there, and you were left to guess, okay, here's David. He's being chased by Saul. Saul wants to, you know, to cut him into pieces, verse 2. He wants to destroy him. Okay, so David says, Lord, I have one request from you. If I could ask you for just one thing, this is what I'm going to ask you for. And we all think, I know what that is. He's going to say, Lord, get Saul off my back, right? Take care of Saul. Get rid of Saul. Get me freedom from Saul. But you know something? That's not what he asked for. In verse 4, is it? He asked for something entirely different. By the way, <clears throat> not very often do we come to God with one thing. <laughs> Our list is usually, you know, pretty long. But here's David saying, Lord, I have one request, just one. I don't have a lot. I have one. But what is his request? What is the one thing that David wants more than anything else on the planet, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Wow. That's the one thing he wants. The one thing I want is I want to dwell in the house of the Lord. I want to be in God's presence. Now, mind you, Old Testament times, tabernacle times, David really couldn't dwell in the house of the Lord. That was only the priest. The priest did that, remember? They were the ones that went into the temple and, and uh, their, or tabernacle, and they were the ones that took care of the tabernacle. So as a practical matter, David could not physically dwell in the house of the Lord. But that isn't what he was talking about, really. What he was saying is, Lord, I just want to be close to you. The one thing I really want is I really really want to be close to God. That's more important to me than anything else I can think of. How many of us could echo that phrase to God? Lord, there's only one thing I really want. The one thing I really want is I want to be close to you. That's before I have money. That's before I have health. That's before I have all those other things I want. What I really want most is to be close to you. That was David's heart in this moment and, and, and powerfully stated. And he gives confidence to his voice in verses 5 and 6 as we continue to go down this psalm. <clears throat> in verse 5, I, I like the way he, he writes this out. He says, for in the day of trouble, that's what he's living in, he, God, will keep me safe in his dwelling. I believe that. God will keep me in the day of trouble, God will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle. And I'm adding a few words here, but you go on down later, and, and God will set me high on a rock. I believe that. I believe God's going to keep me. I believe God's going to protect me. I, got, I believe God's going to bring me through this safely. You know, I believe that. And he celebrates God in verse 6. Then my heart will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. 
At his tabernacle I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. What an incredible man this guy is. We could stand and give David, you know, let's stand and give him a standing ovation. We would go up to David and after verse 6 and say, David, why don't you write a book on how to live in hard times, how to, how to deal with pressure? Why don't you go on a speaking tour and, and uh, you know, you could fill auditoriums and gymnasiums and they would come and hear you talk about how I handled and dealt with the pressure that Saul put me under and you could have all kinds of things going on for you there. And as we come to the end of verse 6, we would think that. But verse 7 is a marked change in this story. In verse 7, something dramatic happens to David. I don't know what it is. We're not told. But in a matter of speaking, David is walking along spiritually, and he just drops off a cliff <laughs> spiritually. He just, everything goes south for him in verse 7. In verse 7, there's a dramatic shift. We had the flow, verses 1 through 6, everything's great, God is great, I'm, I'm with God, I'm on to this, I'm, I'm steady, I'm sure, I'm confident. And then in verse 7, we have the ebb. Everything goes away. And as David uh, talks here, his confidence is receding, his trust is receding, his hope for deliverance is receding, what we read in verses 5 and 6 vanishes virtually in verses 7 through 9. It just all goes away in that moment, and he turns to despair. Listen to him here as he's crying out to God. He says, hear my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. He's saying, Lord, where are you? I don't have that connection anymore. I don't have that relationship anymore. I don't have that heart-to-heart -heart anymore. My heart says to you, seek his face your face, Lord, will I seek. And then he says, oh, God, do not hide your face from me. And these do nots almost uh, are in contradiction to his, uh, he will keep me, he will, you know, he will hide me, he will set my feet on a rock. Now he's saying, Lord, don't hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. Do not reject me or forsake me. Oh, God, my Savior. And you go down to verse 12 again, he says, do not turn me over to the desires of my foes. You see all of this, and, and, and he's just really at a point of, of uh, coming to that point of despair. John Stott, in one of his books, writes these observations about David's journey, and he says this, those of us who know something of the soul's mood, of the ebbs and the flows of faith, and the alternating rhythm of praise and prayer will not be surprised by this. We know this. We understand this. If you've walked with God very long, you've had those moments where, for whatever reason, you just dropped off the cliff. It's like, whoa, what happened? Where'd he go? Where am I? And we've been left in bewilderment. So David's closeness to God then is trans transitioned into this point of despair, and he feels very distant from God, very far from God, in that regard and in that context. And his, his heart says, I will seek your face, verse 8. In your face, O Lord, will I seek. He's missing it. He's looking for it. In verses 1 through 6, he could see the face of God. He knew the face of God. He knew the closeness of God. Now in verse 8, he's saying, Lord, I'd like that back. I want that back. I don't know where it went. I don't know what happened. 
but I want your face back. I want to be with you. I want to be close to you once again. Psalm 42, 1 and 2, we, we sing this song, and I think we kind of misinterpret it sometimes. We sing this, these verses as a song. As a deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. In Psalm 42, 1 and 2, the psalmist is basically saying, Lord, I'm looking for you and I can't find you. Just like a deer is looking for water and can't find it. I'm looking for you and I can't find you. It just seems like somehow our connection has been completely broken. But David, for his part, and we in our journey in these moments, need to follow David. He seeks hard after God. He's going to say, Lord, I'm not going to quit on this. I want back what I had. I want to get back to where I was. And so in verse 8, he, he pushes onto that. Verse 9, he goes on, and, and, he, and he, again, he's just saying, please, Lord, please. Let me see your face again. Let me have that communion again. And again, those words, do not hide your face. Do not turn your servant away in anger. Do not reject me or forsake me. Lord, please help me. It's one thing to have God distant from us. It's one the other thing to want him back. It's sort of telling sometimes when God is distant from us and we don't miss him. That's a real tragedy. When God is distant, he's gone away from us and we don't even miss him. But David is pursuing this and he wants him back. And he wants him to return. If you're far from God this morning, if God seems distant from you this morning, if he seems like he's, well, an expression I like to use once in a while, like he's got off the bus. <laughs> you know, God's got off the bus. Do you want him back? Do you want him to come back? Do you want him to be close to you again? I hope your heart is saying, Lord, I'm not going to quit pursuing. I'm not going to quit looking. I'm not going to quit coming after you until I get you back. And over time, and mind you, it's over time. David, David doesn't walk through this in an hour and a half. We can, read, we can go through this psalm in an hour and a half. I, I won't, I'll be done by 12.30. No, I won't. David doesn't go through, the, the, through this experience in an hour and a half. There might have been days, maybe even weeks, when this is going on in his journey. It's just hard, hard pushing and David, in all that time, he's pushing back and saying, Lord, I want what I've had. I want it back. I want it back. And in verses 10 through 13, his confidence begins to return. Look at what he says in verse 10. He says, though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Now, it's not likely, and in our day and age, it does happen, and maybe it had probably happened in other days and other ages as well, but, you know, sometimes... Our parents don't receive their children. They do reject them, and they do forsake them, and they do abandon them, but it's not likely. It's not, it's not built into the nature of things that it should happen that way. And David says in verse 10, he's saying, look, even though a father or mother may forsake me, my father and mother may say, we're done with you, God won't. Even though I'm far, far from God, it doesn't mean that God has abandoned me or for, forsaken me or or he doesn't want me anymore, the Lord will receive me, no exceptions. Hebrews 13, 5. Do you know that verse? Never will I leave you 
Never will I forsake you. I'll never quit on you. It may seem like it to you at times. It may seem like it. You may have those spirals where it's dry as all get out. And you're like David saying, Lord, you know, Lord, please, you know, uh, don't hide your face from me. Don't turn from me. But he won't. God will take care of what's ahead. I say that to you not knowing your journey. But whatever your journey is, God will take care of you for what's ahead. God will be glorified along the way. In effect, God has this. God has our journey. And God will watch over us along the way. David's got it. God's got it. You know the story of Joseph? If I could just reference back to that. Joseph was in prison. You know, he, he was sold as a slave to Potiphar, and then he was put in prison. And there's about a period of about 13 years there where he's, life is really hard for David, or for, I'm going to get on David, on, on Joseph. But eventually it all comes clear to him. And Joseph stayed connected to God, even in those midst of all that confusion. And so David rests in God's promises and that he would be with us in the journey. And he says something very important in verse 11. This is important for me to hear. It's important for you to hear. Teach me your ways, O Lord, and lead me in a straight path. Here's how I say it, how I've said it. Maybe it's how you said it, too. Too often we want God to affirm our way instead of us learning his way. Lord, bless what I'm doing. Bless the way I'm going. Bless the way I'm living. And God might be saying, you know, buddy, you need to do some changing here. And it's an incredibly important verse in verse 11. Lord, teach me your way. Now, I don't always like going to school in God's school. I haven't always enjoyed those journeys. When the Lord says, Larry, I'm going to teach you my way. But that's an important thing for me to surrender to and to be mindful of and to be open to. Teach me your way. God's way is not our way, neither is his thoughts our thoughts, and I would just say, that's for sure. (laughs) In my experience, that's for sure. His way hasn't been my way. And his thoughts haven't been my thoughts, but they have been his thoughts, and they have been for his glory and for my own good. Grest in God's way. He's got this. Then in verses 12 through 13, David's closeness to God is reestablished, and his confidence in his return. We look at verse 12 in our text, and he says, uh, well, we we read that earlier. It says, "Do do not turn me away I do not turn me over to the desires of my foes, for false witnesses are rise up against me to, uh, to breathe out violence. And then he says in, in uh, uh, verse 13, I am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. He gets back what he was looking for, that closeness to God. Once again, in verse 13, God is his light. God is his salvation. God is the stronghold of his life. Now, folks, fellowship with God is always sweet. But fellowship with God, when it has been lost and then reestablished, 
is sweeter still. You ever had that? You went through that desert, that dry spell, and you come out of it, and you come back into fellowship with God, and there's that connection with God again. After that wandering away, that is sweeter still. It's a wonderful thing to experience. And the psalmist ends with verse 14. He gives us some advice in our journey through life. Advice that is especially important when we find we are uh, fearful and we are facing despair. And it's advice that's really hard to hear. What does he say in verse 14? Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. God, you can ask me to do anything you want. Just don't ask me to wait. Right? I don't want to wait. What's that all about? Why should I have to wait? Sandy and I have observed in our journey in life to our own frustration that God's not in a hurry. You ever notice that? <clears throat> I wish he'd fix things. I wish he'd fix people. I don't want him to fix me necessarily. I like me, but you know how that goes. But God's not in a hurry. He doesn't just jump to and say, I'll fix that, I'll fix that, I'll fix that. And in our journey with life, he says, look, here's the most important thing for you to understand. I'll take care of it. I've got this. I'll do it. But in the meantime, I want you to wait. 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 And honestly, it's one of the hardest things in the world for us to do. Now, mind you, if we wait for the Lord, we don't do it passively. I don't just sit with my hands folded and say, okay, we'll see what he'll do. Look at verse 4 again, you know. David, as he's waiting for God, in verse 4, he says, uh, one thing I ask of the Lord, and this is what I will seek. I'm going to go after it. I'm going to pursue it. I have to wait for God. But in the meantime, I'm going to press hard to find it, find what I'm looking for, to, to find my fellowship with God. Verse 8, he says, my heart says, seek your face. And again, Lord, I will seek it. It's not passive to wait. But at the end of the day, I have to. If I'm walking through a dark and dry spell in my journey, I can cry out to God as David did, but at the end of the day, I have to wait for God to come and remove the veil, take away the darkness, and reestablish the fellowship. And so he ends with that word for us uh, that we must wait. And I would just offer that to you in our conclusion this morning, that if you're on that journey with God and you are in one of those ebbs of life where it's just not working. Push hard to know him and then wait. Wait. Wait for God to break through the darkness and to shine his light once again on your heart and his fellowship once again into your soul. He'll be there. He'll do it. He'll come to you. But we for our part, must wait. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for the story of David because it's my story. It's our story. We've all been there. We've all done that. 
I pray, Lord, that we would listen to what David teaches us here and learn from him to seek hard after you, to not give up on you, to not walk away from our pursuit of you, but to stay with it and stay after it until the day you break through and reestablish your fellowship with us once again. For those who are in that place right now, I pray, God, that they would take these words and push hard to know God, to find him again, to be in fellowship with him again. And I pray, Lord, that you would meet them in that journey and that they would once again know the sweetness of fellowship with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.